by Passion Church, the DeSoto County campus, the fun church in Horn Lake, Mississippi. For more information, visit us at www.mypassion.church. We'll turn in your Bibles to Psalm 78. We'll go all the way down to verse 61 where we'll start. Psalms 78. 61. This is this may be a verse I've never heard preached on before. <laughs> All right, so this is a little bit strange scripture to start with, but Psalm 78, 6, 61 says, He allowed the ark of his might to be captured. You remember we talked about in the Old Testament, God allowed his presence to remain inside a little bitty box, but basically so that he could go with the Old Testament people. He could at least be around them. He couldn't be in them, but he wa- God has always wanted to be with his people. But he allowed the ark of his might to be captured, it says. He surrendered his glory into enemy hands. Now, you can be tempted as you're just reading through 150 Psalms, you know, just to slide right on by there and say, and and not pay attention. But did, did it just say that God surrendered? That is not something that you think of God doing, is it? God surrendering. Who, who would God have to surrender to? Who's this guy? You know, I don't want to meet him in a dark alley. But God surrendered his glory. I think we know that God didn't have to. Speaking of surrender, which we are tonight, if you hadn't noticed. That's a terrible segue, but... We, we sung, sung songs about surrender. Tonight's message is entitled, Sweet Surrender. But I was, with that weak segue, going to say that I surrendered my heart to my wife almost 24 years ago now. In March the 26th, it'll be 24 years. And, uh, you know, I was getting on, I was getting way up there in age. I was almost 25 or so, you know. And I'd had several girlfriends, you know, that just weren't quite the ones, good girls and everything, but I was kind of picky. You know, I wasn't just settling for the first one that came along. and I was looking for the right one, and this last one that I'd broken up with, I thought to myself, I just really ain't into this dating business anymore. I want to find the right one. And so I started looking for the right one. And, you know, back in them days, I was just looking. That's all. <laughs> it was all about the eyes, you know. What? <laughs> and so I found this beautiful redhead with these green eyes, you know, and I asked her out. And, and there's another long story there, but eventually she went out with me. And, and she came out, and, and it was our first date, and I was kind of dressed kind of nice for me back then. She was dressed up real nice, and, and she got in the car, you know, and uh, I, she said, where are we going? I said, I was thinking about Taco Bell. <laughs> but I was just kidding, you see. But she said, that sounds good. I said, that's the girl for me right there. <laughs> that's my kind of girl right there. Well, I was just kidding. I, I took her to a Mexican restaurant, but it wasn't Taco Bell, all right? So, and, and as we sat across the table that night, it was called, I can't remember the name of it now. It's been so long ago, but it's long since closed down. But I remember just looking into those green eyes and falling for her very quickly. And it was something about our chemistry. 
You know, it was just something that we just clicked. There was no, we didn't have to make it happen. You know, we weren't butting heads in the conversation. We was just both on the same wavelength. And, and I played it cool after that first date. Uh, I didn't call her again until two days later. But then that second day, we went out again, and from then on, it's been on like Donkey Kong. I mean, it's been every day since then. And uh, she's going away, not this weekend, but the next weekend, the youth camp, the winter camp, and I don't know what I'm going to do for three or four days without her. But I surrendered my heart to Angie 24 years ago. Everybody surrenders to somebody. Don't shake your head. Everybody. Bob Dylan sang a song. You may have heard of it. You got to serve somebody. You know. Everybody heard that song? You got to serve somebody. Everybody serves somebody. Whether we admit it or not, we're all slaves. Yes, and I said that word, slaves to somebody because the Bible says we are. In Romans 6.16, it says, don't you realize that you become a slave of whatever you choose to obey? Whatever you choose to obey, you become a slave of. You can be a slave to sin, which leads to death. I, I like how God does it. He does it like, like I learned to do it. Put the hands out. You can be a slave that leads to sin, which leads to death, or you can choose to obey God, which le leads to righteous living. And he's like, you choose. Do you want to die or you want to live righteously and enjoy abundant life that God has for you? Well, the Apostle Paul, earlier in that chapter, in fact, in the first verse of Romans 1, in that letter to the Romans, chapter 1, verse 1, he can't wait to tell everybody who his master is. He said, this letter is from Paul, a slave of Jesus Christ. So if you're going to have to serve somebody, and if you're going to be a slave, there's no better person to be your master than the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, surrender can either work for you or it can work against you. For example, sometimes kids, they don't surrender to their parents. <laughs> Those are the kids that's probably going to surrender to authorities one day in handcuffs. <laughs> They're going to surrender to the cops, right? If they won't surrender to authority, then you're small authority, then you're going to end up surrendering to big authority. And I, I was thinking about this. This is not always the case, and I'm not trying to generalize, but I maybe am. But I was thinking about the, the music our teenagers listen to, and, and really adults too. I can almost ask somebody, I can tell what music, if they tell me what music they listen to, I can almost tell you how they're living their life. What do I mean? Well, I mean... If I talk to somebody that's listening to country music, I can tell you they're probably drinking beer. <laughs> and I'm not kidding. I, I was at the gym this morning, and there was some country tune. They, they got one country room, and then they got some hard rock room, you know, and I go between the two. But in the, in the country room, there was some song talking about, he said, Serving the Lord, and then the next sentence was drinking beer. What, what, 
do you know what song I'm talking? I can't remember how the lyrics go, but he was talking about he was serving the Lord on Sunday and drinking beer on Sunday night or something. I, I don't know what it. But you know, if you're listening to that all the time, if that's what you're feeding on, then it's what you become. Now, there's worse music than country music. Country music's just like in the middle. <laughs> there's music that's disparaging to women. There's music that's uh, disparaging to authority. There's music that just goes down into the gutter and brings out all the darkness of humanity. And now, if people are listening to that, they're darkening their heart. And so, but, I, but for example, I know several of our youth back there listen to Christian music. Do you believe that? And guess what? They're trying with all their heart to serve the Lord. You got to fight for what you believe. You got to pursue what you want to be. I'm just telling you the truth now. In 2 Kings chapter 7, we have the story of four lepers sitting outside the gate of Samaria. Now, I don't know why they got leprosy, how they got into the state that they were in, but lepers, you know, weren't allowed in the city. And Samaria was in Israel. It was the capital of Israel, whereas Jerusalem was the capital of Judah. And Samaria is being besieged by the Syrians. They've got a huge army amassed outside the gates, and they're starving them out. They can't break through the walls, or they don't want to, you know, pay the cost for all the men it would cost them to break through the walls. So they're just waiting them out, and they're starving them. And it says a cup of dove's dung is worth five shekels of silver inside the city. That's how hungry they are. I ain't never paid more than two and a half shekels for a cup of dove's dung. But, I, but apparently they're really hungry in there. But I can, I can imagine these four lepers sitting outside the wall and their whole life they've been wanting to get in the city. And they're probably sitting there thinking, man, I wish we could get in. And every day they were just looking as they opened the gate and, and then they said, man, I wish they would let us in. But then they think to themselves, wait a minute, they're starving in there. I don't, they ain't no better off than we are. And one of them gets the bright idea, you know what? I'm hungry. I'm real. I'm starving. My belly, we got to get something to eat. You know, if we stay here, we're just going to die. If we just stay put in the condition that we're in, it won't be long and we'll die without having done anything. So I know it's far-fetched, but why don't we go to the Syrians and see by chance will they have mercy on us and feed us? Because, see, the Syrians, they wouldn't even waste air on these four lepers. <laughs> they just let them sit outside the gate. They could have killed them already. So they're thinking, we ain't got nothing to lose. We're going to die one way or another unless we do something. So they go to the Syrian camp, and you know the story. They get there. God has caused a great noise to go through the Syrian camp and scared them. They thought that, the, the, that uh, Samaria had hired the Egyptian army to come get them. So they just took off running for their life, scared, and left the whole camp, left their horses and donkeys and, and all their money and their, even their overcoats and everything, their, their food. And so these 
Four hungry lepers walk into town. Hello? hello? And they think, probably think it's a trick. Hello? hello? And they go into the first tent and they eat their fill. And they say, man, there's gold lying around here. You think they would care if we, where are they? They go and look and say, are they coming back? And they start stuffing their pockets. And I imagine they get some bags and stuff. And they're just collecting all this stuff. They go into the second tent and they eat all the food in there. And they start collecting all the stuff. Pretty soon they got so much stuff. They say, how are we going to carry all this? Where are we going with it? We're lepers. They won't let us in the city. Well, how are we going to buy anything? And so they think to themselves, this ain't right. All those people in the city are starving to death. And we got more than we need. And so what do you think they did? They said, forget them people in the city. They wouldn't even let us in. They saddled their donkey and rode off. No, they didn't. No, they didn't. Thank God they didn't. Thank good goodness, or thank God for goodness of, in some people's hearts every now and then. And they went back and they told the people, told the king that, hey, the Syrians are gone. And so everybody was able to eat that day. But it reminds me, the whole story kind of reminds me of our situation. The lepers are, are kind of like maybe you've been in your life or maybe I've been. I got to a place through just probably no fault of my own, just circumstances in life had me to the place where I didn't have no choice. I had to do something different or I was just going to sit here and die. I was hungry for... I was hungry, but I didn't know where I was going to get no food. And nobody was helping me, you know, I thought. So I just reached out in the first direction I could think of, and God's grace met me where I was at. God ran the enemy off. He let me live when I should have died. And he just blessed me and blessed me and to the point where I had to make a decision. Am I going to submit? Am I going to surrender to this kind of grace? Or am I just going to take mine for right now and get on my donkey and saddle off to the next set of circumstances in my life? You ever been there? When God's grace just slapped you in the face, you had got to, you know, a bad place in your life. And that's what God does. He reveals himself to us. He shows us his grace and he said, does this make you want to surrender to me? Or do you just want to keep on taking your chances? Why don't people surrender to God? I mean, most of us know him. We know how good he is. We're like, man, it was the best thing I ever did. But I guess people don't trust him. A lot of people just, they don't believe in him. They don't even believe he exists. But really a lot of it is people love darkness rather than light. They enjoy sinning. That's a big reason that people don't come to Jesus. They, they make it out that all the people in the church are hypocrites. They, they, they say, they blame it on us, basically. And they've got a point. No. But, but really, most of the time, is they just love sin. And they would rather not come out into the light where their sin might be exposed and they might have to deal with it. Or they got a lot of human pride. Ain't nobody going to tell me what to do. And they're thinking, really, 
They want it their way. But in the end, one way or another, we will all have to acknowledge that God's way is much better or would have been much better than how we're going to end up. You know, a wild stallion can do nobody any good. A wild stallion. I, oh, yeah, they're beautiful. I mean, you might take a picture of them. That might do you some good. But you ain't going to ride one. They're going to bite you. They're going to kick you. They're going to snort snot on you. If you get close enough to them, if you were to break one and, and enough to just to ride it, it would scare off in battle. Wouldn't be any good to you. A wild stallion. They've got all this power and all this strength and all this beauty, but they're no good to anybody. Sam Watley, I saw what he wrote and I had to copy it down and read it to you. He said the Greek word praos, spelled P-R-A-U-S, but I don't know how you spell it in English when it's Greek. But the Greek word praos was used to define a horse trained for battle. So a horse that's been through a process of training is now called a praos. Wild stallions were brought down from the mountains and broken for riding. That's what you have to do to a horse. You have to break their wheel. Right? Some were used to pull wagons, some were raced, and the best were trained for warfare. This is starting to sound like people. They were retained, no, they retained their fierce spirit, courage, and power, but were disciplined to respond to the slightest nudge of pressure from the rider's leg. So they, they kept all the gifts that they had, all the traits that they had, but the only thing, the difference is now, they would respond to their master. They could gallop into battle at 35 miles per hour and come to a sliding stop at one word. They were not frightened by arrows, spears, or tortures. They called this being meeked, M-E-E-K-E-D, the word meek. They called this being meeked. These horses were meeked. To be meeked was to be taken from a state of wild rebellion and made completely loyal to and dependent upon one's master. So that's what they did to wild stallions who had all this potential but were no good to anybody. They would break them of their own will, teach them to follow the master's slightest desires, and that was called meek. Now, we know that it says in the Bible that the meek shall inherit the earth. And most of us understand the word meek to mean weak. But it does not mean, the biblical definition of meek does not mean weak at all. In fact, it means strength under control. Great strength under control. When these great strong horses were put under control. And then in Matthew eleven twenty nine, it gives new meaning to what Jesus said. We know Jesus wasn't weak. I mean, we see the pictures that they draw of him today make him look weak, but he, we know if we know him at all, we know he was not weak. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart. 
He doesn't describe himself much in the scriptures. In fact, that's the only place I remember offhand where he describes himself. And the one who's coming back as the lion of the tribe of Judah with fire in his eyes describes himself as meek and lowly in heart. I don't think that means weak. I think that just means he does exactly what the Father asks of him to do. And his heart is not high and lifted up over everybody else's heart. His heart is to down on, you know, on a level to reach ours. He says, I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. There he is talking about horse stuff, right? A yoke and a burden. So the question, how much of your strength is under God's control? I mean, the first response we'd all like to say, well, I'm all in. You know, God has everything. I have completely surrendered. And we say those things. And we, we may mean those things. But really, have you taken God's bit into your mouth? And do you move with his slightest nudge? And do you do exactly what he says? Can you ride into battle, into warfare, and stand still whilst arrows are being shot at you? And do you trust in your rider? Rick Warren says, surrendering your life means following God's lead without knowing where he's sending you. Just like Abraham. You remember Abraham? He was called to leave his family and go into a place that God said, I'll show you later. And he got up and he went. Surrendering your life means waiting for God's timing without knowing when it'll come. We, we hate that word, patience. <laughs> Surrendering your life means expecting a miracle without knowing how God will provide. Some of us may be there right now. We don't have no idea how he's going to do it. We just know he's going to do it. Surrendering your life means trusting God's purpose without understanding the circumstances. Man, I don't know what's going on right now, God. But I know all things are working together for me. You know, I know this don't make sense, but I know you got it, God. You know you're surrendered to God when you rely on God to work things out instead of trying to manipulate others, force your agenda, and control the circumstance and situation. You let go, and you let God work. That's hard for some of us A-type personalities, recovering perfectionists. We feel like we have to be in control, you know. We're not so much afraid of, of anybody else, but we're afraid of not being in control. Jesus... Uh, He's Lord. He's, he's not our partner. It's not a 50-50 relationship, right? He didn't say, come into partnership with me. He said, confess me as your Lord. That's, he's completely the boss. He's paid the cost to be the boss, I like to say. Luke chapter 9, verse 57. Go ahead and let's turn there. Take a break from my voice for a minute. 
I didn't notice that. But the header on my Bible right before verse 57 says, the cost for following Jesus. I guess it's whoever version of the Bible wrote that in there. But anyway, Luke 9, 57, it says, as they were walking along, someone said to Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. But Jesus replied, foxes have dens to live in, and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place even to lay his head. He said to another person, come follow me. The man agreed, but he said, Lord, first let me return home and bury my father. But Jesus told him, let the spiritually dead bury their own dead. Your duty is to go and preach about the kingdom of God. Man, that's hard right there. Could, could the man's dad have just died and he wants to go bury his father and Jesus saying, let the dead bury the dead. You just get up and go do what I tell you. <laughs> I thought I had a rough dad, you know. But I have heard some say that the man's dad hadn't even died yet. That he was just old and the guy wanted to be there when his dad passed. He wanted to be with his dad till he goes on, you know. And Jesus is like, how long are you going to wait, you know? You can't do it. But maybe, maybe not. <laughs> maybe Jesus just saying, our time here is precious. Another said, yes, Lord, I will follow you, but first let me say goodbye to my family. But Jesus said, anyone putting a hand to the plow and then looks back is not fit for the kingdom of God. That's rough stuff. Only the Lord could say those things and get away with it. But it's only by surrendering to our creator wholeheartedly will we ever discover what we were created to be. Because we're a work in process. He's not finished with us yet. And if we stop right here or if we never get started and let him get his hands into our life, we, become, we remain an unfinished piece of work. And some of us are a piece of work. <laughs> Ain't that right? They always tell me, guy, you're a piece of work. <clears throat> Jesus... He's, uh, he's not doing a, sales, a very good sales pitch here for being a Christian. He's not making it sound like butterflies and rainbows. He's saying, come follow me. He said, sometime you might not even have a place to lay your head. You might have to leave your family. You might not get to say goodbye to everybody that you want to say goodbye to. But I'm telling you, come and follow me is more important. I don't know about you, but I have learned from following the Lord. Sometimes what he says to me seems so hard at the moment, but on the backside I realize he was right. And when I think about in the scope of eternity, The importance of us being obedient every day. 
and the lives that we may affect or touch and how he's looking at eternity and how he's looking at the people that need to get saved more than our comfort or our little day-to-day stuff down here. Seeing the big picture, I think it's wise to do what he says. I don't know. Isaiah 64, 8. Isaiah says, Lord, you are our father. We're the clay and you're the potter. We're formed by your hand. When's the last time you've seen a lump of clay jump up off the wheel and say, whoa, wait a minute, get off me. Why are you doing me like that? Why do we question the potter? I was holding on to that piece. What did you throw that away for? What's this thing over here that don't even make sense, you know? We begin to question the potter before he finishes the work. We don't understand. We see in like one piece of the puzzle, and it's like a 20,000-piece puzzle. We have no idea how it's going to fit, but we're going to question the potter. That's about how silly it is. Proverbs 3, 5 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not to your own understanding. Please. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will direct your paths. He'll lead you in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. You know, we don't even get to come before the Lord without surrender. There's, there's got to be a level of surrender to Jesus. Or you, you know, we said without holiness, no man will see me. You know, there's, there's a level of surrender that you got to get to before you even see his hinder parts go by. Ezekiel 44, 9 says, this is what the sovereign Lord says, no foreigners, including those living among the people of Israel, will enter my sanctuary if they have not been circumcised and they have not surrendered themselves to the Lord. Surrendered themselves to the Lord. Circumcised. A cutting off of the flesh. If there's not been a cutting off, cutting away of the flesh and a surrender towards God, there's not been repentance and faith towards the Lord Jesus Christ, you're not going to see God. You're not going to enter into his real sanctuary. Turn to Matthew 16, 24. I know I'm just preaching to the choir, but I'm practicing for when there's lost people in here. Y'all give me a space here to learn how to do this. Matthew 16, 24. Then Jesus said to his disciples, if any of you wants to be my follower, I think in the King James it says my disciple. If any of you wants to be my disciple, you must give up your own way, take up your cross and follow me. I don't know of a better definition of surrender. I mean, it might be a good one in Merriam-Webster, it might be a good one in dictionary.com, but right there, that to me is the definition of surrender. Give up your own way. Having to have your way. Take up your cross. That's your burden. That's your burden in this life. That's what God asked you to do. And follow me. But think about that. Follow me. Isn't that what a good leader says? Come follow me. A good leader doesn't say, all right, take off that way. (laughs) Call me when you get there.
Jesus says, come follow me. I am leading you. I'm going to be right with you through it all. I love that part. The other two, that's hard. Giving up your own way, taking up the cross. Verse 25 says, if you try to hang on to your life, you'll lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? Is there anything worth more than your soul? So you can't win following anything or anybody else. You will never end up successful following anything or any, anybody else other than the Lord Jesus. Nobody else can get you across to God. He is the way, the truth, and the life. He's the only one. When they said, who is worthy to open the seals in Revelations? Whose blood was spilt on the mercy seat in heaven and on the, the copy of it down here on earth? Who is worthy? Worthy is the lamb that was slain. Paid the cost to be the boss. God rewards our surrender, though. Oh, it's sweet rewards. Sweet rewards of surrender. Turn to Mark 10, 28. It's fun to, to go to verses that you see all the time. And then you know you've read a dozen times and, and you've heard them preached over and over, but in a different light when you're approaching it from a different angle and it just glimmers at you and, and all kind of highlights come out and you see it in a new way and it just continues to be alive every time you see it. I love the scriptures. They're exactly what he says they are alive. Mark 10, 28 says, Then Peter began to speak up. Oh, Lord. That's where we, <laughs> that's where we usually get in trouble, right there when Peter tries to speak up. Peter began to speak up, but he says, we've given up everything to follow you. And Jesus replied, and I assure you that everyone who has given up a house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or property or for my sake and for the good news will receive now a hundred times as many houses. Brothers and sisters and mothers and children and property along with persecution. I don't know why I threw that in there. And the world to come, that person will have eternal life. How do you have hundreds of houses if you gave up a house? I, uh, in this life, I don't know. Maybe he means, maybe I could go to your house or your house because we're brothers in the Lord. Maybe I've got brothers and sisters all of you are my brothers and sisters now that I didn't have before. Maybe I've been adopted into a new family. Maybe I already have these things and don't know what a gift I've been given. And then on top of that, eternal life. Peter said, because I follow you, Lord. What do we get? What do we get? <laughs> we get blessed. Have you seen Deuteronomy 28? Is anybody familiar with that chapter? He said, if you will hearken to the voice of the Lord your God and follow him, all these blessings shall overtake thee. And it's just a list. It's a, I love that list. Blessed in the city, blessed in the field, blessed in my coming, blessed in my going, blessed in my 
my storehouse, what do they call it? The need trial or something it's in the King James. But anyway, you just bless, 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 bless. And I'm like, yeah. Everybody wants those blessings of God. And this, I love that chapter until it gets to the part about if you don't serve the Lord, your God. And then there's more curses than there were blessings. I'm like, stop. Man, there's, I'm not even going to get into all the roids and the, and the curses, but. Oh, I just want to stay in the first part of that chapter. Read it for yourself. If you never read Deuteronomy chapter 28, you'll see the difference in living for the Lord and not living for the Lord. And you'll probably see some of the things in your life, maybe before you were serving God, you'll see some, hey, I was experiencing that. But now I'm experiencing this, praise the Lord. Are you surrendered? Angie, I asked her to go to the gym with me this morning. She's kind of been out for a while from the gym, and I'm trying to get her back in, you know, and she's, she's had a rough December, and she's just trying to relax. She's like, I'm not going now. She said, you know, those people in New Year's resolutions, that gym's going to be packed on January the 3rd. And, uh, no, that was, that was that January the 2nd. That was a, the second and that, and, uh, when, when I asked her. And so I went the second, and I walked up in there. It was like 10, 10 degrees that morning, you know, about 6 o'clock in the morning. I walked in there expecting the crowd because, you know, everybody talks about how everybody goes to the gym for, you know, in January. Four people up in there in the whole gym. It's not, normally only about two. You say, where do you go to the gym? I got a good gym. I don't have to wait for nothing at my gym. But anyway, four people in the whole place. I don't think there's as many people at the gym as you think. And I don't think there's as many people setting themselves apart for the Lord as you think either. You'd think at least people would make a resolution and at least go to April before they quit. A lot of people do that. You know, they serve the Lord for a while and quit. But today, there ain't even a lot of people making the resolution in the first place. There's a lot of people that talk Christianese, but there ain't a lot of disciples. A lot of people can talk. Man, I, I come across people all the time can quote more Bible verses than I can. Where you go to church? Oh, I don't believe in the church no more. Squirrely folks. You don't believe in Jesus' bride? <laughs> okay, but there's a difference in being a Christian or claiming to be a Christian and being a disciple, a disciplined follower. That's, we're going to talk a lot about that this year. And you know what? Surrender requires daily submission. You've got to surrender again tomorrow morning. It don't just happen automatically. It's not a one-time thing. Every day, you're still living in this flesh. And you got a decision. You're going to walk in the flesh or you're going to walk in the spirit. To be carnally minded is death. To be spiritually minded is life and peace. There's the hands <laughs> again. But, you know, it's up to you. About time to close. About past time to close. Uh, do I want to talk about this story? Do you remember in Jeremiah, along in the 21st verse, uh, let me get my mind straight. Okay, 
God's people again. They were serving the Lord, doing good, but then they, you know, when good times came, a lot of, time, a lot of people fall away during the good times. They forget the Lord their God. And they have forgotten the Lord their God. And so they had gotten so bad that God take his, took his hands off and he sent uh, Nebuchadnezzar from Babylon to capture Israel. And everybody would, you'd think God would be like, well, fight, fight against Nebuchadnezzar. But God's like, no, I'm sending Nebuchadnezzar. <laughs> God, what are you doing here? Jeremiah 21, 9, it says, he tells everybody, everyone who stays in Jerusalem will die from war, famine, or disease. But those who go out and surrender to the Babylonians will live. Their reward will be life. That's weird. God tells us to surrender to the Babylonians. you got to think about that for a minute. God, why? Well, first of all, they had to surrender because of their own sin. They were living in the promised land, but they were getting kicked out because of sin. That kind of sounds like the predicament that we're in as mankind. We were in the promised land, but we got kicked out. But God is saying, surrender to the Babylonians. And if you will humble yourself, and that's what he asked us to do in this wicked, perverse generation, to humble ourselves. If you'll humble yourself, I will eventually come back and get you. God tells them to be meek, and he'll bring them home one day. Now, he doesn't suggest that they partake in the Babylonians' ways. He just says, go live among them till I come back. In fact, if you remember, there were four guys at the gym that day. Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego that purposely did not partake of the king's food, did not bow down at Nebuchadnezzar's gold statue, even in the face of death. They were working it out. They were doing God's will in a crooked and perverse generation. They were surrendered to God at all cost, even in a tough place, in a tough situation. But I really only read about those four, and it took a long time before God was able to find enough that would come back home even when he, when he was ready for him to and rebuild the walls. Very few people enjoy the rewards of a full surrender. So I'm saying it ain't easy. But it's possible for all of us to fully surrender and say, God, I'm in it for the long haul. I'm going to get up and I'm going to be in it again tomorrow. I'm going to hit the gym today. I'm going to hit it again tomorrow. I'm going to keep going. Oswald Chambers says, beware of stopping anywhere short of total surrender to God. Most of us only have a vision of what it really means, but we have never truly experienced it. I don't know if I can say I have. I say I do, Lord. But I'm, I'm human like everybody else. We, we surrender, but we take it back when times get tough. We surrender when it, get, when, when it seems you know, the chill bumps and the, and the Holy Ghost in here in these purple chairs. Then we get out there in the world and somebody challenges us and we shy away. 
whatever it is. So has anybody arrived? I don't know. But I do know surrender is the way to go. Surrender is what God has called us to. And if you missed it yesterday, get up again today and go to the gym, spiritually speaking. If you see someone Sunday lifting hands during praise and worship, if you see them hitting their knees, don't laugh at them. Don't laugh at them. Those are signs of surrender. Maybe they know something we don't. They're surrendering. Those are people that probably know that God surrendered his best for us. Probably know that God, that Jesus himself said, Father, into their hands, to your hands I commit my spirit. And he surrendered to the Father's perfect will. And the Father's perfect will would be that he surrender his life. And so there was a lot of surrendering. God has showed us the way. Now he surrendered everything for us. So he's not asking us to do, he's never asking us anything to do that he hasn't done. He's saying, come follow me. So 23 and a half years ago, I surrendered my heart to Angie. You say, well, I thought you were supposed to surrender to God. Well, we weren't saved at the time. Once I got saved, we started going to this little old marriage class thing, and they had, we renewed our vows. And this time we got remarried with the understanding that we first and foremost each surrendered to God. And our hearts was the Lord's. But in doing so, she assured herself that she'll have a husband for life. Because I couldn't love her like I needed to love her until I, I surrendered to God. I couldn't treat her like I needed to treat her till I surrendered to God. I couldn't commit to her like I needed to commit to her till I surrendered to God. There was no way that I could be what she needed me to be. And she couldn't be what I needed her to be. But with God in, in the center of our marriage, then all things became suddenly possible. Surrender to God is a sweet surrender indeed. Thanks for listening to the podcast today. We hope you enjoyed it and that it inspires you to live out God's Word. For more information, visit us at www.mypassion.church.